Hello and welcome to Alone Up Front. This is a podcast for teachers doing it by themselves. Hello everyone, how are you all doing? We took a little summer break but we're back. This is Steve Mortimer in Berlin and as ever I'm with my brother Chris Mortimer over in the UK. Hey Chris. Hi Steve, how's it going? Yeah, feeling refreshed after our little break to Iceland. We went to Iceland, we uh, ran the Reykjavik half marathon. It was mercifully cool, <laughs> very nice experience all round. Now we're back um, and in that weird time of year for teachers where mm. there is a sense of impending doom because... So it's, we're in September. Some schools have already started. If you're working in tertiary, mm. like me and Chris, you've got a few more weeks of reprieve. Or maybe you don't work for a school or educational institution at all, but you know you're going to have to do some training in the next few weeks or there's maybe a run-up to some events happening in the, uh, the conference season. So you're worried about planning your next bit of teaching. And planning mm. is going to be the topic of this week's podcast. As well as that, we've got our regular feature, Is It Worth It?, where me and Chris furiously debate a contentious aspect of classroom practice. And we have a top tip, which this week is being delivered by Chris. Mm -hmm. That'll be com coming at the end of the podcast, okay? So if you're a teacher working outside conventional structures, if you're not really a teacher at all, but you have to do some teaching or do some training, then this is the podcast for you. You're alone up front, but we are there trying to back you up um, as best we can. So Chris... Um, when I was doing my teacher training, we had one very passionate um, tutor who said to us, listen, new recruits, I'm going to tell you one thing about working at uh, work in education. Fail to plan, plan to fail. <laughs> and we that all, old chestnut. Yeah, we were suitably cowed and thought, oh my gosh, that's probably the case. We, we should be really, really planning. This should get granular as you like, and we should have mm. everything absolutely mm. locked down. Because if you fail to plan, then you may as well plan to fail. Um, what are your thoughts yeah. on that little uh, well, nugget of wisdom? I think I've mentioned previously on the podcast, I remember when I was a student and um, we went to the same school, of course, Comprehensive School in Nottingham. Mm. I remember I would have been in year seven or year eight, and we had a trainee teacher uh, working with us. And for some reason, I was up at the front of the classroom giving something to the teacher, and I saw her teaching plan mm. on on the desk. And the teaching plan was, um, I was surprised at how detailed it was. You know, it's cutting yeah. things down, you know, five minute slots, even I think some two or three minute slots in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, I don't know, I don't know how that made me feel about the teacher. Um, but I think I was surprised at the level of detail there. And I think um, coming back to my practice these days, um, I've got to confess up front, I certainly don't plan at that level. I'm not sure what direction we're going to go in, Steve, as usual, <laughs> but I have well, to um, have to confess up front, I'm not planning at that, at that level. Well, this is what you're talking about there is somebody doing teacher training in the UK, which is something that I did as well. And the expectation is that you um, create and submit detailed lesson plans for all the lessons you give. Now, this is where you're not actually a teacher at all. You're working um, for a short period in a school assisting existing teachers and you'll maybe get a couple of lessons a week and eventually at the end of that placement you'll maybe te be teaching full weeks yourself but the idea is um you need to show that you've thought through the lesson and that you've created a plan for it so that mm. the teacher you're working with can be reasonably certain that you've um you know what you're doing and so the teacher can help you and maybe intervene um, at an early stage before the lesson if they think that your plan is maybe not quite up to scratch. So that is, I suppose, one extreme. The idea that we should be approaching a, a course, a, a module, a semester, a term of teaching and figuring out how many periods of, of teaching we're talking about, lessons or sessions, whatever you want to call them, and then making a minute-by-minute minute plan, breaking down how that learning is going to happen. Mm. If we take this idea of fail to plan, plan to fail, if we take that to its sort of literal extreme conclusion, is that what we're working towards? I don't do that either. But mm. would you say that the best teachers in the world mm. are doing that in your personal opinion? In my personal opinion, no. We're dealing with people, of course, and we're dealing with a particular type of person, often uh, young people and people 
uh, with lots of energy, maybe people who act in an unpredictable way. So the idea that we can boil it down to this minute by minute lesson plan, putting everything in grids mm. and stuff, um, that to me doesn't sound very dynamic. And I think a big part of teaching, although planning, as we're, well, as we're talking about today, certainly has an important role. We've also got to be able to react to circumstances. So I suppose my view would be somewhere there's a sensible balance between the two, between having an idea what's going to happen and being able to react to the circumstances. Yeah, I'm inclined to agree with you. And even while I was doing my teacher training, I got some feedback that my plans were not quite getting there early enough. And um, I remember my... Um, my supervising teacher said, well, it's okay, you know, we, we can tell you know what you're doing, but you need to be getting your plans in, not on the day that you teach, but you need to give them a, a few days earlier. And I was thinking, oh, but I'm not going to have the, inspira I'm not gonna have the inspiration uh, yeah. a few days earlier. I'm only going to get that right, right before I teach. <laughs> a very arrogant approach for a trainee teacher, but there you go. Um, so uh, also, I think that there's there's a problem with this this extreme planning, which is that it, it's such a challenge, such a terrifying prospect that you're going to have to look at, you know, 30, 40, 50 hours um, and somehow plan every single minute of that. It's, I mean, I would be so, mm. I used, well, I used to be so scared and feel so incredibly inadequate when I, when I, and then when I, when I tried sort of plodding my three through it, sort of starting from lesson one and then moving forward, I just became incredibly disheartened and, and very worried and, and yeah, and scared because I just thought how this is insurmountable. I can't, how can I know mm. how long that's going to take? I think that that's a good activity, but but I'm, I'm not sure. And so it it was an expectation that was really, it was quite, quite damaging. And I found it really hard to deal with that we had to, we were expected to mm. do that. It's interesting that, yeah, it made you feel inadequate. I think, you know, I mean, a bit of a weakness for our podcast is that we're brothers. So we tend to have the same perspective on yeah. things. And I'm, you know, I'm exactly the same. You know, I tend to be, uh, you know, a, a last minute mm. um, type planning person, but there must be a good number of people out there. And I think, you know, a few come to mind, people who I know who, who actually enjoy that planning more because, you know, it makes, it gives them a sense of um, security, yep. you know, that they've got it, that, that they've got it all planned out yeah. um whereas we're much more comfortable working in a more kind of intuitive way i think that's maybe the first point we have to make that the planning process is is really different for each individual teacher each individual practitioner um there are some people who like you say really benefit by having the clarity and focus that um detailed planning gives them and of course, it's a bit like making a shopping list or making a to-do list. You know, when you've put something on paper, you do feel that your head is more free to deal with with other things because you're not keeping those things mm. in your head. And um, there's certainly a case for saying going into a lesson, say it's quite a, a complicated lesson, lots of things you want to do. To have all that just in your head, to have never written it down, you are gonna. There's going to be a cognitive load that you're dealing with throughout the lesson. You know, what comes next, and do I do that? Or is sure. that groups? Or is that is that? No, that's individual. Then that's pairs. Then that's groups. And so there's um, there's something to be said for um, if you feel that detailed planning is supporting you, then you should absolutely do it. What I, I think, object to is the idea that we should all be doing that. Mm. And if you weren't doing yeah. that, then you weren't doing the job properly. On the other hand, this sure. was in, this was a teacher training. We hadn't had years of experience and, you know, several mm. successful um, classes graduating from our teaching or anything like that. So we mm. had to prove ourselves. So it, it was quite reasonable. But um, but I did discard that that process pretty pretty early on. That said, I would think that nowadays I it could be that I actually plan more than I did mm. in the first few years of um, of my teaching career. I think that I planned. Mm. Uh, I think I actually plan more now than then. So what what kind of things are you doing um, when you're planning? I mean, I I don't think you'll be making uh, you know break it down into three minute slots and stuff. So do you have something kind of more fluid and um, just more interesting? I think the word planning is is not really it. I think that's, that's the second key point yeah. I want to move to. Planning sounds like an administrative process. Mm. It sounds like you are taking, I mean, what do we normally plan? You plan a holiday or you plan yep. uh, an evening or you, or, or you plan your finances. Yep. So generally it's taking mm. uh, a slightly unclear, chaotic situation and int introducing a sense of order to it. And put, 
putting things into yeah, boxes. Exactly. And yeah. I should be should be we should be talking about lesson strategy. Exactly. Then maybe is that a exactly. bit Exactly. Yeah. I think the concept of planning in the broader sense is antithetical to what the the planning of learning should be, which needs to be a mm. fundamentally creative, free-form process mm. leading into mm. a sort of strategy building process. And then in the last final stage, leading into a planning process. Because mm. I think the mistake we make and the mistake that I made for so long was thinking, okay, I'll plan my teaching. And then immediately coming up against a wall, because I'm like, yeah, but what, what, okay, but what, plan, plan what? I, I have no damn idea what I'm supposed to teach. And I never gave myself the space mm. to think, no, no, before I start planning, let's start thinking creatively about the stuff we could mm. do. Let's, let, let, let's banish from our minds the idea like, oh my word, I have to fill this many hours with, with content. Let's just start thinking about what would be the coolest stuff, the most interesting, unusual, but stimulating activities I could do with these kids or, or with these adults. Mm. When you start thinking it in those yep. terms, it suddenly changes. Then it stops becoming something, oh, I need to plan my lessons. It starts becoming, no, I need to create experiences. Um, and see. then you you actually make a divide in your head. And you say, right, I'm not going to be concerned about how long this is going to take, about any kind of timelines or minute-by-minute -minute breakdowns or particularly, I just want to be completely, completely... Um, completely um, unconstrained by that. I'll give you one example. We had to teach a book, um, John Steinbeck of Mice and Men. Probably a lot of people listening have read that. Mm. If not, classic. it's a great book. It's And, it, and it's also great to teach. Um, uh, year nine, this was. Um, so we're talking uh, for 13, 14, 15-year-olds, uh, youngsters reading it. And um, I started planning, not with a creative process. And it was, you know, uh, taking bits of the text and... and and kind of analyzing it. And it, mm -hmm. it, it was a real slog. Oh, and I forced myself to, or somebody said to me, to break out from the planning idea, make it creative and try and think of just the coolest thing that you could do with this story if you didn't have to worry about mm. time or location or, or, or anything at all. And it mm. occurred to me um, on like doing something completely different, doing the washing up or something. I was like, oh, imagine if you could um, mm. hold, a, hold a trial Imagine um, um, Lenny, who at the end of well, no, well, no spoilers for *Of Mice and Men*. Read the book; is brilliant. But um, <laughs> but there's a there, there's a there's a, a crime is committed, and the person who committed that crime is not put on trial in the book, but could be put on trial. And then you could have like the kids in your class um, do do a trial of this character. And I was doing the washing up, thinking, oh man, how mm. awesome would that be? I mean, completely ridiculous. I can't do that, right? I can't. I can't. I can't. We can't you know, create defense teams, have interviews, have witness interviews, mm. have cross-examinations, make it go on for a few mm. weeks, have newspaper reports doing it, make videos. Can, can we? I was like, oh, oh, yes, we can. Of course we can. <laughs> and, yeah. um, and suddenly the planning process was just unalloyed joy because I was just going to think of, of, of spinning out all the different things you could do from a court case which as we know go on for months in the real world so so my chunk of the term which was like three weeks um, of teaching of mice and men became immensely fun to plan because the planning process went from being administrative oh, to creative oh so cool mm. imagine the possibilities it went, went mm. from allocating mm. to imagining and from planning to just conceiving of ideas that was a bit of a breakthrough mm. Is that? Yeah, no, that makes that makes total total sense to me. I mean, when I do um, when I do my uh, MBA mm. teaching, so I teach teach on a distance learning MBA program, and um, I'm under pressure to provide resources. It would make me laugh if some of the admin people were listening to this <laughs> because <laughs> I don't don't think that's ever going to happen. But um, I'm always under pressure to provide resources. Yeah. Um, but like you, I find it very difficult to explain what's going to happen before you've had that spurt of creative energy where you actually mm. conceptualize what the big idea is. What's the exciting thing? Yeah. What's, the, what's that cool activity? And, and the way I do it now is very similar to you, unsurprisingly maybe, but I think up the cool activity 
and then and then work from there. And then and one cool activity that we've spoken about before, Steve, but just as an example, is the is the human spreadsheet. Mm. And I'm often teaching about business analysis and spreadsheets. Mm. And spread a spreadsheet is just an interaction between different cells. Mm. So if each student can play the role of a cell, uh, they know what's in their cell, then they have to go and interact with the other people. And um very much like you, I had this idea in a completely unrelated setting. Mm in the shower, walking the dog or something. And then you dismiss it immediately, but then you're like, oh, maybe, you know, maybe we could. And once you've got that, as I said, that big idea, I mean, that's exciting for the students, but it's exciting for us yep. too. As as practitioners, it's a challenge. Then planning becomes, it becomes more worthwhile. Yeah. But but when, when people are asking me for it, and I bet you felt this when you were doing your teacher training, mm. I felt I felt that people were, putting undue pressure on me because I hadn't yet had that creative mm. spark, which would, which would lead to the whole lesson being, being planned. This is a really good point. I mean, when we're teaching, we're, we're always, or usually accountable in some way, obviously we're accountable to our learners, but we're accountable to the people that administer the organization where we're teaching exactly. and um, people working alone up front, as we like to call it. So people working, maybe not in a school or a university, but working in a different context where they don't have that kind of support. They still will often have somebody checking on them. I mean, that's that's the nature of life. And, and often the person who is caught of monitoring you, that person may have even less experience of teaching and learning than, than you do. Um, and mm -hmm. that person is going to want to see hard evidence uh, that good stuff is happening. And unfortunately, as you're indicating, it's difficult to, to provide evidence of learning for these things. Totally. It's far more easy to, to show totally. a, a thick bunch, you know, a pile of lesson plans that it can mm. hardly be denied that loads of learning is happening there. But of course, we know that it's very possible to have a bunch of lessons plan plans, all of which contain uninspired, mm. uncreative, unmotivating lessons Literally. where there's very little learning happening. So are mm. we saying that teachers uh, working alone up front should go in there like in a kind of idiosyncratic, rebellious way and just tell their supervising <laughs> staff to get stuffed and 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 i'm just a creative genius don't manage me i'm not the you know yeah. I'm not, you're the how guy don't deal with don't bother me with that kind of stuff uh, when, yeah that'll be interesting but you've you put your finger on it there it's the it's the triumph of bureaucracy over creativity over art <laughs> yes you know i think i think that that is you know that is why it arouses these feelings of frustration mm. Um, but I, yeah, I mean, I mean, there has to be some kind of sense, some, some kind of third way here between, you know, this bureaucratic planning and not doing anything at all, Yeah. but, but putting, you know, having this grid and, and breaking things down minute by minute, you know, I don't, I don't think that's the best way. No. Well, I, I doubt, I doubt you know, that many... Um, I mean, unless there's people doing their teacher training now who are listening to this, they, they're probably feeling what we're saying. But most people, I think, wouldn't be required to submit plans with that level of detail. But you, mm. um, but you are required to explain, you know, what you're going to do in, in broad terms. And, and yep. you would have to kind of break that down, I think, into a level of detail, which might be, which I probably, I think that the communication and explaining the big idea is actually key. Even if the people looking after you are not teachers themselves and have less experience than you. We have all been in a learning situation if we haven't been in a teaching situation. Mm. And this, I think, has two sides to it. I think too often we are all guilty of remembering our own school days and presuming that that is the way all teachers teach. And we remember a good teacher mm -hmm. we had, maybe a not so good teacher we had, and we sort of, and we listen to what we're hearing from this other person who apparently is teaching, and we ask questions that are like 25, 30 years out of date and not really attuned to the environment mm -hmm. at all. So we have to bear this in mind when as teachers working alone up front, we're trying to explain our plan to our administrators and we have mm. to really take a step towards them and maybe without sounding really patronizing and really know it all, but in a kind of um, understanding and, and, and a humble way, um, try and explain what we're going for in, in the larger sense. Not say this week I'm yeah. doing this, then this I'm doing this. Rather say the purpose, mm. I've got eight weeks or the course that you've given me is, is six weeks or four months or whatever it is. And then you can try and sell a big idea for the whole units or whatever it is and mm. that will i think if you can convince your administrators at that level that you have a big plan 
then they're more likely to let you deal with the the detailed stuff. But if you mm. fail to do that and you are kind of weak, you're there sort of saying, so what's going on? What's the situation? And you're sort of trying to tell them as little as mm. possible or just give them, then that's going to just create more <laughs> and more suspicion. So, so so were you able to say with the Of Mice and Men yeah. case, no spoilers, <laughs> were you able to say um, to your supervisor there, listen, I've got a, I've got a plan here for a few weeks. So uh, we're going to do this trial. Did you find that that relieved some of the pressure on you? And uh, were your supervisors like able to understand that idea? And did that give you a bit more leeway in terms of not having to pro provide such detailed plans? Yes. Um, I was yeah. dealing in that case with experienced English teachers at schools in the UK who were were really good teachers and they they saw the potential of the idea. They hadn't done it before. And they were a bit concerned. Okay, is this going to work? Can we can we do this in our room? How exactly how exactly do you want to do this? But they they saw the potential of the idea, and them being teachers, just like me, straight away their brain started going to uh, how how can you split the group and what things need to be done and how can we do it over more lessons and can we how can we integrate the national literacy strategy targets into those activities? But you mm. could. It was it was actually it worked quite well. So in this case, yeah, that kind of overarching concept. Which, uh, which offered lots of different facets for exploration, bought me a hell of a lot of leeway um, so I didn't have to mm -hmm. submit as many plans. Also, a, a lot of it was then clear. If I say, oh, we're going to work on um, writing a, a summary of, a, of, a, of an argument, then straight away, summary writing skills... Everyone, well, not people have a sense of what skills you have to practice, what you can do to introduce that topic, how you can practice it, what outcomes you can um, um, require from your learners. So you don't have to explain so much detail then because it's kind of working top down. Like it's all serving. Yeah, it's, that's it. That's it. Yeah. So people can fill in the yeah, gap. Yeah, it's um, absolutely like um, totally, totally. I mean, it's, it's, it's almost like a systems thinking idea. And, I, and we have this idea of systems thinking in management science. You know, if you, if you took, um, you know, a car tire, for example, mm. and an alien came down from outer space and you had to explain what it does. Mm. Well, the only way to explain what it does is to fit it on a car and to watch the car yeah. move. It's a good example. And so if you take, yeah, if you take these things out of context, they're incredibly difficult to explain. But if you begin with the context and the motivation, the big idea, but that takes a lot of courage, doesn't it? Yep. I mean, particularly for a trainee teacher, and I'm yes. sure we've got people yeah. who are starting their careers to go to senior people and say, I've got this idea that nobody's doing, mm. you know, it's innovative, it's a bit funky. I'm not sure about mm. it. Um, but if you can kind of sell that idea, and you know, to your superiors, to the students as well, mm. then you're going to provide you're going to provide it providing the connective tissue mm. that's going to make everything make sense yep. in, in yep. your planning. It does take quite a bit of confidence, but I yeah. but if you sell it just as you did there, if you say, <laughs> look, I'm not quite sure if this is 100 percent going to work. It depends who you're talking to. If you're talking mm. to an administrator, then it's all about confidence and saying, I know it's going to work. Um, if you're talking mm. to a, a supervising practitioner. Um, then maybe it's better to take a different approach and say, I'm not sure it's going to work. What do you think? How can you help me? But you, but by by proposing an overarching creative concept and not worrying too much about the detail, I think you offer the most opportunity for um, constructive collaboration with whoever is looking after you or a level of confidence and certainty um, that will mm. keep people sort of off your back, not breathing down your neck and allow you the space you need um, to develop the details without this massive sense of stress. I have the coin, Chris. Um, Fantastic. This week's topic, is it worth it? This is where we take something controversial or, or debatable. I was reading just yesterday in the UK, there's uh, the Schools Inspection Authority, which is called Ofsted, the Office for Standards in Education. Uh, they inspect schools on a regular basis and talk to teachers, watch lessons, find out about schemes of work, and then give the school essentially a rating and an, an Ofsted report. And um, they have decided to stop asking about homework. They've said if schools want mm. to have I saw yeah, this too, school, yeah. if, if pupils want to be doing homework or schools want to give it, that's that, that that's their deal they can do that but they were no longer making it an Ofsted uh, requirement 
Okay. Mm. Interesting. If only this had happened when we were at school, man. Oh, damn. We had to do homework. <laughs> I have the coin. Um, if the euro sign comes up, Chris, you are defending homework. If the other one comes up... And are we in any particular context here? Schools context, tertiary context, or just the general I think we idea. should discuss maybe all, maybe all of them. Maybe all of them. Or you, we can, you can see. Okay. Let's okay. see. So yeah, euro sign you're defending. You're saying it is worth it. Sorry, Chris, it's the euro sign. <laughs> you are defending the idea of homework. Okay. I am saying that Ofsted was right. Homework is a waste of time. We shouldn't be doing it. Mm. Okay, well, you can see I'm sat here in my office. Anybody who's watching the video here can see me sat in the office. In fact, just going to reach for my, um, th this is my Japanese, one of my Japanese textbooks. and um, One of one of my Japanese textbooks. One of, them, one of, one of Chris's library of Japanese texts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is the only one I still have, actually. Okay. But this is the, this, this is the level two um, Japanese uh uh, professional proficiency test. And um, yeah, when I think about any time I've really dedicated myself to learning something and really learned something worth knowing, and I'm thinking about, yeah, I learned Japanese after university. Yeah. Um, I learned the Excel VBA programming language on, on my master's and, um, and other things, you know, sports and other things. I've had to spend a lot of time on my own mm. You know, learning on my own, learning in that solitary environment. Sure, I've had some inspiration in the group setting, and I'm certainly not denying I've had some great teachers, including great Japanese teachers, but we've got to equip young people with the skills to learn on their own. That's the only way for them to unlock their potential. And so they need to do unsu unsupervised learning. And unless they've got time allocated for that in the school timetable, which I doubt they have, they need to be doing that at home. So I am for homework powerful arguments i'm quite impressed um not to say but blown away by by the force of your <laughs> conviction because i mean what you're saying is true self-directed study is a vital element of life when we become adults uh we don't have people holding our hands and, and walking us through things you just have to go home and figure it out yourself um a lot like the mm. teachers listening to this podcast who are working alone up front and just figuring it out themselves um, but let's return to the the school context you were talking about. Um, mm. Kids at school nowadays, the, the timetable time provisions have been creeping up. When I was working in London at school, we were doing six one-hour lessons a day, six hours a day, um, then travel mm. to and from school, and then potentially an hour and a half of homework e each evening. Do you, do you mean you were teaching six lessons? Um, no, um, I was, I was teaching. Okay. But the kids, the but the kids were, yeah, the, yeah, the, the yeah. pupils had to attend. It's to a lot. Yeah, exactly. And, mm. and I mean, you break it down, they're doing like 50-hour weeks um these um these 12 year olds and and um is that with the that's, that's included that's including oh, okay if you include the it, commute if you include a yeah. commute and if you include um you know uh, quite fairly if they really take their homework very seriously which not many of them did it must be said um and it just mm. i give them a break they're kids yeah i i have to come in here and, and kind of agree on this i think when have i worked hardest in my mm. life and um Probably like GCSE times. Really? You know, trying to, yeah, the, trying to get, you know. These are the exams um, you take age 16 in the UK. Yeah, you know, trying to do a, like a graphic design project. Oh, or, oh or yeah, God, you know. they were massive. No, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah but <laughs> I, I, that kind of thing. But, I, you know, I totally remember pulling all-nighters mm. when I was, um, you know, 15, 16, yeah, yeah. 17, you know. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I'll, I'll step in and after my, you know, impassioned defense, I'm going to step in and say, um, say that, um, it's a lot. It does seem like a lot for young people to be doing. I think, I think, I mean, the thing is that I also, I also wonder whether, um, whether setting homework task really inculcates the kind of self-directed, curious mindset that that you say that we need i completely mm. agree that we need it but i don't know if homework tax actually i well it's not it it's not really self-directed is it if if the task has been mm. set yeah you know, there's there's quite a tight yeah. boundary around the t around the yeah. task yeah. you know you know you can't you can't just say for a homework task go and explore this topic no. mm. um it'd be good if you could oh well, yeah 
And that would work for some students, but only, but only a minority. I mean, but this, but this is kind of where I am at with homework at the moment. I mean, I work at a university now, but I work as a, as a language teacher at the new university. So I'm not lecturing. Um, I'm not lecturing on topics that are directly related to the degree. It's kind of ancillary communication skills that I do, um, and I don't set homework tasks. We have um, the students on that I teach. We have uh, two, three hour three-hour sessions once a week for two semesters. The first two semesters, they have to be. They see enough of me. That's a hell of a lot of English they have to do. And I'm not in the business particularly of, of giving them additional tasks to do at home, apart from getting ready for the summative assessment at the end of semester. They also have to do a presentation. We'll talk about this in the second half of the podcast, actually. But um, I, but as colleagues of mine do that, they give additional homework tasks, which they then go through mm. in class, giving out the answers the students sort of grade their own homework as a bet, and they sort of they discuss the results mm. of it. Um, I don't know what that adds, apart from just increasing the workload of the students and giving them more stuff to do. You could say, no, no, it's good because you go through the conceptual stuff of the lesson in the attended session, then they get mm. a chance to practice and implement that stuff and keep it in their minds in the week. Don't completely forget yeah, it. Then, consolidation. Yeah, yeah. And then, then they come back, you have the effect of going through the homework task, sort of reminding people that maybe weren't there what's been done and use it as a bit of a reminder and then mm. catch up again. I can see the point, but it's... I, every time... I have tried it. I've tried it in the past as well, but I just found it, it really kills for me it always kills the energy in the lesson when you're doing that totally. we've said we've said before you've got two minutes or so at the beginning of the lesson to yep. impress to roll out that big idea yep. we were talking about in the planning section and if you're spending that time going through the answers to the homework um but that totally resonates with me that that's what i did in uh, university seminars and university language seminars mm. And it was, it was, it was, yes, I mean, I can understand the idea, but it's plodding yeah. and, and pedestrian and predictable. And, um, at, and I never did the homework. And it, yeah. And it's not very inclusive because you do end up having like a conversation with the two or three really keen students who's, who've, who've done, done the homework and, um, <laughs> And you do that for one or two weeks and then it becomes very clear at the start of each lesson. But, they, sure, but surely what? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. No, sorry for interrupting you, Steve. But, but sure, surely they, um. All you should do is just make the answers, if there's any answers, or make a model answer available online. So so the students can check in their own time rather than using that critical time at the beginning of the next lesson. And you know why I think student uh, teachers don't do that? I think it's mm. because in their heart of hearts, a lot of teachers would admit that homework is more about control somehow. It's, it's not so much about supporting learning it's more, I fear, I fear it's more about um, consolidating the authority of the teacher uh, via, like, mm. I have the answers and you've invested time doing this. You want to know what the answers are and only I can give them to you. And and I don't. it feels to me like a, a kind of slightly unhealthy and infringing on the student's life outside of your lesson, like... You may, we not, mm. may not have a lesson again for a week, but you're not free, no, no, because I'm going to give you this this task to do. And then, mm. I, oh, I don't know. I, I think that, because if you said to, to, to teachers, how about this? You set the homework tasks, but you make the answers available. And then you don't, then you then if students have questions, they can ask you, but otherwise you don't. Sorry, that sounds sensible I to me. I bet a lot of my colleagues that set homeworks would say, oh, no, no, well, I'm not, not going to do that. And you'd say, why? And they'd say, mm. well, because, um, and then I think, I don't know. It's maybe unfair of me to suggest, well, that, but I, I suggest that they—they—it's part of their of, of reasserting mm. their authority. Totally. Uh, when were we talking about channels of communication? Was that I think last it was last time? podcast? Yeah, yeah. Or the time before? But it, again, it's a misunderstanding of the channels of communication because you're using your mm. pres precious teacher yeah, talk yeah, yeah. <laughs> to do what's an admin task. Yeah. You know, to to re read out answers. So um, I think, and yeah, I you mean, know what, and, and, and yeah. it is. It shouldn't be enough. giving formative because the the, the counter argument is that that's formative feedback, formative assessment. If you go way mm. back to podcast number two, we looked at summative versus formative assessment. Summative assessment is like the stamp of approval you give at the end. This person is clever. This person isn't clever. Done. Formative assessment is um, talking with your learners at a metacognitive level about their own learning mm. and. 
In theory, these homework feedback sessions are a great opportunity for giving formative feedback, but they never are. They end up being teacher giving out answers, bright, um, engaged students putting their hand up, always the same students giving the same answers, a little kind of mutual appreciation um, session happening. Totally. And then uh, totally. half the class totally. sat around just thinking, oh my God, I'm so lazy or so bored or I'm just tuning out of That's, this yeah, completely. That was me. And I yeah. think the point is that the nature of homework is that you... Uh, if you want it to be uh, kind of quickly and, and, and neatly accessible, then you need to have clear answers, and that precludes any particularly interesting tasks Cre or creative yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so you can kind of defend mm. it as an opportunity for amazing formative feedback and metacognitive awareness building, but it's not. <laughs> well, yeah. in my experience, at least, it never has been, and and this is where, as always, we've we've completely fallen out of our of our faux debate of uh, yeah. is it worth it. I think that um, what we were moving towards at the school, a couple of schools I've worked at in the past, is that they do do um, some work based at home rather than at school, but they uncouple it from lessons and they make it a whole term project that students don't they basically make it a piece of work yeah. an overarching piece of work um that students don't do in classrooms at school they, they do it at home and then one lesson a week Love um it. they 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 have like a, a kind of a lesson devoted to it where they get to get some some feedback on it and mm. stuff but then that's and then at the end of the the term there's kind of a presentation week Love or that something. Idea. so, so I've, I've been trying to do something like this and i've got a one of the modules i teach is kind of being updated so i've got to think of some so it's like a new a new group work element that can be done outside of the classroom oh, brilliant. Yeah. and uh, and uh, i want to get them to do um a kind of uh, weekly video journal yeah. just on their phones about about what they've what they've learned in the session That's you know a good idea. which is going to it's going to be homework yeah. you know it's it's mm -hmm. work they're mm -hmm. doing at mm -hmm. home but it's creative and um i'll have time at the end of the module to um formatively assess it and to give some yeah. to give some meaningful meaningful feedback this is so so actually completely independently uh we are moving in a, a similar kind of direction that um mm. you're moving you're leaving you're, you're agreeing that some stuff can happen at home and you're i agree with your original point that um it enhances self-reliance and independence if people mm. some if, if pupil students are responsible for their portions of their own learning but you're having them driving the process and you're having the outcomes be something that are not residing purely with the teacher. Like that is the correct answer. That's the wrong answer. You're, you've done well, you've been mm. naughty, um, but you're making it a much more all encompassing thing, which happens after a number of weeks and then actually can mm. be genuinely used for some kind of formative feedback and a discussion about metacognitive awareness. Mm. This is the way homework needs yeah. to be at. I sense. I think so. I think it's this this is deep cuts for me, Steve. I'm just thinking about thinking back to my secondary school days and I, I was just useless at getting homework <laughs> yeah. done. And and I always thought that's because I'm lazy. Mm, mm, mm. But maybe somewhere <laughs> there could be an element of truth in that. <laughs> There's certainly some truth in that, but I don't know. It just seemed a bit pointless, but it's just like pointless planning that we were talking yeah. about I, I get i get the same yes. feeling yeah, you know? yeah. if it, it feels like really bad homework yeah yeah so i'm i'm feeling a bit better about myself now <laughs> i think steve so i wasn't expecting a counseling session but as I said, well, deep cuts this, yeah i'm sure i'm sure you were very diligent uh but i think yeah i think i don't know i mean I, again it depends on listeners individual context maybe homework is, is ridiculous thing you know, would never be required of you but um, it's just something to think about. And um, even if um, whatever context you're teaching in, homework hasn't been mentioned, why don't you mention it? Mm. Why don't you um, say, well, how about this? And then you might get to define it in a way that's not this kind of mm. by rote, teacher-focused, did I get it right or not thing, and much more a kind of learner-driven, reflective experience. And if you're the one suggesting that, then you get the opportunity to shape it. And um, hell, I mean... I mean, what you got to lose, really. It's um, it's probably going to be um, something you can contribute to your professional context, whatever that may be. So there you go, homework. A bit problematic, but there are cool ways of doing it.
Okay, so we've talked a little bit about homework now and is it worth it? We sort of think it isn't worth it unless it's done in the right way. Um, but the main topic today is um, the homework of the teacher, which is very much during the summer months, planning your next teaching. If you're a school teacher then, and we're now recording this in the start of September, new term is looming. Don't get depressed. Don't turn off the podcast. Don't worry. It's going to be fine. You've, you've, got, you, you've got this, listeners. Um, and we talked about the fact that if you approach planning in this bottom-up kind of way and you start thinking, okay, minute one of the first lesson of hundreds of lessons, oh my word, that you get overcome by a sense of despair, inadequacy, and just deep, deep anxiety. We don't want that. Mm. And then we said, um, what you need is a big idea, guys. Just get a big idea and then it's all fine. Mm. And maybe some listeners were thinking, oh, cheers, Steve and Chris. As usual, big ideas, guys. But what if I don't have a big idea? How do, you, how do I find that big mm. idea? Help me with that. Okay. Well, well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> how, how do we do this? Um, first off, Chris, got, have you got any spontaneous responses to, to that question? I have. I have some uh, ideas. My first gone. My first idea was YouTube. <laughs> okay. 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 My first I mean, idea was was put whatever whatever you're teaching on, put it into YouTube and see how, see if there's anybody good. I mean, the fact it's on YouTube is no guarantee of quality, mm. but is anybody on there? doing some kind of funky presentation or, or it might give you some inspiration for, for an activity, right. but that's only because you asked for my immediate thoughts, Steve. Well, yeah. I think, but you're right. I mean, YouTube and the internet, but especially YouTube, you are, I mean, it shows you how amazingly capable sort of ordinary people can be um, when they when they give something some thought and they rehearse it a bit and how creative um, you can be when you approach a topic. The number of explainer videos or just cool videos made by people who are interested in hobbies and whatever they do, fitness, music, art, movies, you can, you definitely can get some good ideas from YouTube. Mm. Um, mm. My thinking is, um, yeah. is well, what this is, I want to explain the process that I go through when I'm, yeah. when I'm facing a semester, um, which in my case is maybe planning 14 to 16 weeks of teaching. Each week would be uh, a one three hour session with a break in it. So two 90 minute sessions. So say 15 three hour chunks of teaching, which yep. feels like quite a lot. Um, that's, quite, mm -hmm. that's quite a lot of, of time to fill. And if you think of it in terms of, okay, week one, <gasps> first 20 minutes, what should we do? Then you quickly, quickly become lost and then you just don't do it. And then you end up going into the semester unplanned and that's not good. I remember in our podcast episode number two, when we talked about assessment, we actually talked about this and we said that um, what you need to do when you're planning your modules, planning your courses, is think about what the point of the whole thing is. What can you meaningfully mm. assess at the end? What is going to be your? What are going to be the summative outcomes that you're going to be able to assess? And then you need to reverse engineer the whole module based on that. And sure. I think that this is this is something that that we need to go back to now, even though we've talked about it already. Summative assessment is the the two the we 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 assess our learners every time that we teach them. We give them an activity, they try and do it. We talk about how successfully they've done it. We try and inculcate a sense of reflection of them understanding where they are and why they are at it, and we call that formative assessment. It forms their learning. Unfortunately, at some point, crunch time has to come often where you switch mm -hmm. from being the good cop teacher to the bad cop teacher and you have to sit them down and make them complete some kind of formal assessment, which you then grade and their performance in that assessment dictates your final grading of their ability. And then you end up with a curve with probably quite a lot of students in sort of the mid range and a few more high flyers and a few then bringing up the rear. And that's summative assessment. You may give them some feedback on it, but there's going to be no more teaching after that. That's an assessment of the summation of all their learning. Now, mm -hmm. this is important because um, once you accept that, that that kind of sets the, uh, the framework of your teaching, everything that you do in the weeks approaching that final assessment needs to be, that the learners need to know that the time they are spending doing activities will be enha enhancing their ability to succeed well in that final assessment, rather than you planning loads of stuff and then kind of randomly choosing a few elements of it, keeping that secret, and then making that 
the assessments. This is the old school idea of doing an exam, like, oh, oh, sir or, or teacher, can you tell us what's going to come up in the exam? Then you don't tell them and you sort of say, well, you need to learn everything and then you need to hope that whatever you know comes up in the exam. This is, I don't like mm. this way of doing things. So what does this mean in terms of coming up with a big idea? Um, I think uh, at a fundamental level, you start after thinking, right, am I, am I assessing via a written piece of work or can I assess by a combination of written and an oral um, outcome? Outcome is something that you produce, right? So, um, and then if we're talking about oral outcomes, is this going to be a, a one-way oral thing where like a, the learner presents something or can I create a situation where the learner has to interact and show their understanding of a topic or, or, or area or skill in that way. When you start broadening out the, well, when you move away from the idea of just a written test being the, the summative assessment, and you start thinking about what about a presentation? What about some kind of simulated mm. um, meeting? Straight away, um, you are buying yourself license during your teaching to do those kind of mm. more interesting activities. You've only got a Makes sense. You've got, if you're doing a written yeah. exam at the end, and yet in week five you plan a whole week where there's just oral stuff happening, students mm. will justifiably say to you, "Is this relevant to the exam? Because I have this other thing I have to mm. do next week, and uh, I might because it's a written exam, and, and I can see we're just discussing." So, yeah. which is frustrating as a teacher because you're like, you get to the stage where. Mm where you know if it's not directly relevant to the exam your learners won't come and and you know we don't want to start blaming our learners here this is the way life is they're very busy people but if you can make your exam so you're saying a bit more a bit more creativity in assessments. the summative yeah. assessments that facilitates that that means more creativity is expected in classroom activities yes. that's good that's going to make planning easier yes. more interesting it, it, it kind of um Thank you for, for bringing me back <laughs> to my actual point here. Um, the capacity, the, the options you have for assessment um, focuses your mind on how broad you could also make your teaching. Um, in, in, in my case, for yeah. one of my modules, 15-week module, the name of the module is um, English for International Management, first semester students that are studying um, business in Germany. So... I'm thinking, first of all, okay, I, I want them to write something. I want them to, because they need to show me how whether they can write effectively in business context in English. But I'd also like them to take part in some kind of meeting because that's incredibly important in, if they're going to go and do a job in an international mm -hmm. company. And I kind of would like to see whether they can present as well. I'm thinking that if you went to a, to do, to a startup or to a company assessment day and you had to show your skills, you'd probably have to write something, you'd probably have to present something, you might have to be in some kind of discussion with somebody. So we're straight away talking about three different forms of assessment. Um, written, Maybe I'll have them write an email rather than write. I mean, they'd never have to write a written exam in their company in the future. So how about I put them, I give them a difficult situation, time, time limited, a lot of information. They've got to summarize it and offer their suggestions and send it to the boss in the form of an email. And then mm. why not link that to the discussion part of it? We can have them in groups and then I can say before they write that email, um, I can give, I can create four slightly different sets. I can create a company context I can invent a company uh, working internationally and I can say the company's having some problems and the idea is they're emailing the boss their, their potential solutions. But then I can give, I can create four slightly different sets of resources where each, where, where the problems, where the information is, is, is a bit different, a different, different slant on it. But you only really get the whole picture if you, ex, if you hear what the other three people have got in terms of the resources that I've mm. given them. So then we have the meeting, it's pre-built. Um, they get their, it's their job to explain um, their departments. Say, I divide it into departments. Um, their departments take on the on the company situation. So then we have the oral discussion part. And finally, they might say the boss might say, "I like your ideas. I want you to present these ideas to the board next week." And so the following mm -hmm. day, they do the presentation. Um, now, when I in this case, when I when I came up with that as an assessment concept, I suddenly realized with a sense of immense joy in my heart that the planning for the semester was done because mm. we need four weeks looking at presentation skills, we need four weeks looking at writing email skills, and we need four weeks looking at managing mm. a meeting, a discourse, um, and um, a discourse management, discussion, how to interrupt people politely, blah, blah, blah. So we have 12 weeks done. 
Um, and and mm. when you when you're not saying okay, think about fifteen weeks on English for international management. No, no, you're saying four weeks on how to present solutions to a problem. That becomes much more manageable because um, I can think I can think of, of four weeks worth of stuff you can do that. So you're you're breaking it down. And your big idea, the thing that we said that I um, suppose the listeners might be like, but where'd you get this big idea? You, you get it from the assessment. Try and think of the most mm. comprehensive 360-degree assessment you can create of the skills you want to cover. And once you've built that, the rest of the semester might just kind of fall into place. And of course, mm. practice assessment. So you might say, okay, in the final two weeks, we're going to go do like a practice run through so you know exactly what's going to happen. Sure, you have to create new assessment resources. But again, that's a creative, quite an interesting process. You're not just planning, trying to think of like allocating stuff. You're actually creating a new scenario this, the learner's going to go through. Um, so that was when a, a breakthrough achieve, was achieved for me. And I realized that makes the planning so much easier because you're not just trying to fill time. You're actually trying to prepare them for something very yeah. concrete. Makes sense. Makes sense. I think you've presented the whole framework there, and uh, but it all comes from being very deliberate about the assessments, understanding what formative and summative assessment is, yep. and then getting getting the students doing the right thing in the assessment, and then that yeah, that's that's just a world away from the kind of minute by minute uh, lesson planning we were talking about at the beginning. If you can actually do the planning with the end in mind, with the aim of those students going into that assessment um, mm. prepared. Mm. Is, is it an approach that you also adopt? Does it resonate with you? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Totally. Um, so on the module I've mentioned a couple of times in this podcast, uh, we have four or five topics we can cover on the exam. Mm. And uh, yeah, I try to cover most of those topics on the exam. So there's not this silly guessing game mm. that you alluded mm. to. And then, yes, yeah, it's, it's very simple. We've got four or five topics. So we've got 10 weeks in the term. It's pretty much two weeks per topic. Yeah. Um, and that means everything we cover, um, you know, it's usually on the exam in one, in one form or yeah. another. Um, and that, that, well, that shapes the content. Mm. Okay. That, that shapes the content of the lessons. It doesn't shape the delivery. No, fair enough. It doesn't shape the delivery, but I think in your case, because you're talking about communication skill, mm. it kind of does shape, it does shape some of the activities, doesn't it? Cause you've specifically got to teach well, presentation. I think, I think that, yeah, that's true in my case, but but that brings me to, I guess, the final point in this whole thing. You're quite right that um, just because you know the content of each lesson, that doesn't mean that you, it, well, if you deliver that content mm. the same way each lesson, for example, if you just talk about it and expect the, the students to listen mm. and think that Socrative dialogue will do the rest, um, then fine. So Socratic, not Socrative. Socrative is a good, yeah, Socrative, Socrative is a good app. The online you, you should yeah. use that. Socratic dialogue <laughs> is, is when you have the yeah. typical teacher back and forth chat and learning just happens. We did a, we did a podcast on it a few weeks ago. Um, mm -hmm. I think that one thing you could do to just try and um, get you the last mile um, when you mapped out your content based on the scope of assessment that's possible, then you can look at, um, I can't remember which, which, which episode it was, but we were talking about tasks which can move from being um, indicative to interpretive to creative and going from personal level to the level of principle. So we mm. said that um, if tasks just require things to be identified and categorized um, and it's something that is personal to each student, that's a very sort of very low level skill, fairly easy to do. But then as you move through the lesson or, or if you want to sort of up the gear, you can move from um, indicative tasks to interpretive tasks where it's not a case of just saying that is A and B and, and that is C, rather saying, well, but why? What, what does this mean? Why is that like that? And then to creative tasks, which means now that we understand what it means, make your own version, make a better version. And I think that if you um, have got content each week and you, but you're not quite sure how to deliver it, then you can employ that strategy. You can say, right, is this task, is this, is it, have I done, is there anything creative happening in this lesson? And if there's not, mm. why not? 
Or you could say, oh man, I, this is looking like there's like an hour left over here. I'm not trying to plan it minute by minute. I'm trying to keep hold of the big idea, but I have got a few gaps here. And then you can say, okay, when was the last time we looked at students moving from a personal uh, conviction and converting it into a principle or linking up to a theory? Mm. Or when did we mm -hmm. last um, move students all the way from a personal indicative thing, what is your favourite bank, to a creative principle thing? If banks didn't exist, what system would you design? And mm. and actually use that as a kind of um, analysis tool or like a diagnostic tool to figure out yep. where you've still got gaps and to uh, trigger creative approaches to filling those gaps rather than just thinking oh, i don't know what to do now i've done everything i can think of oh i'll just i guess i'll just try and try and spin out yeah. that activity and get and get me across the line at the yeah. end of the lesson sort of thing but I, I would say there's there's room for some just some kind of raw inspiration as well i'm thinking about your of mice and men trial mm -hmm. idea which is brilliant and clearly works very well um that came when you were washing the dishes, wasn't yes. it? It didn't. It didn't come when you were reflecting on the alone up front podcast. <laughs> no, <laughs> unfortunately. So, yeah, I, t I totally agree with everything you said. It should be driven by um, driven by the summative assessment, and there's frameworks we can apply yeah. to sh to shape the activities. At the same time, I'd like to sprinkle just a little bit of kind of raw ambition mm. in into the mix. Is this possible? This would be ideal yep. if I could yep. do it. I would enjoy it. The students would enjoy it. Even the admin people would understand. Yeah, yeah. You know? I guess I. And yeah, that, that's no. You, that's where we ended the first half, wasn't it? Yeah, but, yeah, but only only a sprinkle mm. of that on top. You know, it's the icing on top of the cake. Um, but I think we've got to leave that leave that creative that creative space in yep. there. Um. <laughs> And you know, yeah, we've we've given two ideas. So so, but what I like a couple of my ideas for um, coming up with that killer activity. Mm. Yeah, I've just written them down here. Is um, I, I think the idea of relevance is so important, yeah. uh, and we've already talked about the importance of moving from personal experience to uh, to principle mm. and to the macro level. Um, but I, I'll say, look look for something relevant and look in the news. Mm. Yep. It's, Starting with a news article and then building some kind of activity off that is good. And then um, personally, because what I'm teaching, I'm actually practicing in my work mm. uh, on projects, mm. then is there some, some kind of real life experience, which might be having worked on a project um, that you can call yeah. on? So just, just, just a couple of things I think you can throw in at the end alongside all of the kind of theoretical stuff we've been talking yeah. about. Um, just, just to push you towards, you know, encourage you to kind of stretch yourself and be, um, and be ambitious, um, mm -hmm. and, you know, embrace that create, you know, try to find that creative spark that just, just might make everything easy, give you the big idea that makes everything easier. That, that needs to be the final message. You need to give yourself space to have that idea and you need to get ahead of it. You need to um, approach your planning well in advance, but not in a boring way, not, you know, weeks in advance, open a spreadsheet and start, you know, graphing out each lesson minute by minute. Give yourself a few weeks, carve out time when you can go for a walk, listen to some music, do whatever you do to get you out of your everyday routine and think about the experience in front of you and think about um, in a creative way, in a kind of free associating non-structured way what what you could do i never gave myself enough space to develop the creative ideas um that of my men thing was an exception i wasn't throwing out good ideas like that very regularly unfortunately i've become a bit better now but i actually self-sabotaged it by thinking the planning process should be a focused spreadsheet or word document table oriented activity and i never gave mm. myself the chance to just step back and think what imagine what could be possible then mm. plan it 
Um, and no, you were never trained no, to do no, that, of no, course. No, no, nobody was telling you to do that at the time. No, yeah. I mean, it, it, there was a lot of emphasis by then on learning the craft of teaching, which was kind of, you know, the way you might learn to be a carpenter or a plumber. You have to get, watch and exactly. replicate the activities and do it again and again until you get better, which, and there is a lot to be said for that. A lot of the other podcasts mm -hmm. we touched on talked about the effectiveness of improving your craft and getting your transitions and the, and the mechanics of your classroom working really well. There's, but but it's both. It's inspiration and uh, and craft together, um, and um, that there are many teachers who have great great ideas, but they do not implement them as well as they could be, and their craft is limiting their effectiveness. And there are other teachers that have mastered the craft but lack the inspiration, and the planning mm, process tends to be because it's by its nature an administrative thing it tends to be about the nuts and bolts and the craft and you forget the inspiration if you're going in there to start filling in um the gaps and all these all this teaching and you've got not got this inspiration then you're going to be frustrated and scared and it doesn't need to be that way mm. uh but you do need to plan but you need to plan uh, in a creative uh free thinking manner and then when you've gone done through that process, then you can look at it. And if you're not, if, and if the inspiration isn't just coming as pure, oh, we could do this idea or this idea, the second option is to look at the assessment. Look at look at how you could assess, look where this module could be leading, think about what the options could be there, and then reverse engineer that back onto the rest of your, your planning, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Always leaving space for, like you said, that little sprinkle of inspiration which might come mm. on, on, a, on a lesson on a week level on a, on a whole module or by lesson don't keep your timing i mean don't try and always always create enough space for unexpected serendipitous cool little moments in your in your teaching mm. don't keep it so mm. locked down that you think oh i've made a plan now and i've got to stick to it that the plan should support you should make sure you're you're clear with what's happening shouldn't left leave you with nothing to do but shouldn't restrict you either, I suppose. Those are our thoughts on planning, failing to plan and planning to fail. Fail to imagine. <laughs> imagine failing. No, that's... Yeah, yeah, Does that exactly. even work? Something like fail, that. Fail to imagine, plan to fail, I would say. Well, that that's um, phrases from a military context, I believe. Is it? Uh, I think so, which is... Well, it makes sense then. Yeah. yeah that's, you need to have yeah, these yes. uh, procedures plan. classic... Yeah. Yeah, it's classic taking something out of context and um, losing those creative elements. And I think if you're a teacher, you are a creative person yeah. anyway. But I think me and you, me and you are particularly creative. And um, just um, what really resonated with me from today was the was the parallel between how I feel when someone asked me to plan mm. unnecessarily and how I felt when the I was doing homework yes. at school. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I never saw that coming, but. Um, so it's so fantastic stuff. And hopefully the listeners, perhaps they felt that, perhaps they didn't. Maybe they can leave us some feedback, leave us a comment, and hopefully they've got some value out of it and it can help them yeah. push their planning and their teaching forward. Hit us up at uh, podbean forward slash alone up front or Google us. You can find us. Um, leave a comment on what you'd like us to cover. Chris, I believe you have a top tip for us this week ah we, always, yes, fantastic. we end with the top tip it's always been me going on about it but let's face it i talk too much on these <laughs> podcasts anyway that's abundantly clear chris has got one this week so what would you suggest something that we can easily implement yeah, in our teaching my, relatively quickly for my top tip debut well this applies to giving feedback particularly if you're giving feedback for assignments uh which well we've done plenty of that and mm. um over the summer, I've done a bit of that myself. And I want you to think about giving, providing a document, which is called cohort feedback, cohort feedback. Now, the purpose of this document is it captures all of those things that we write repeatedly multiple times from one student to the next. And mm. I'm sure you can think of several phrases, Steve, that you <laughs> always end up yes. writing if not for every student, for every mm, other mm. student. What I'm saying is take take those phrases mm. and stick them. You can do it literally with a copy yep. paste. Stick them on a single document and call that cohort feedback. And that means that you don't necessarily need to make those points in the individual feedback. Mm. And that could just save you a huge amount of time. And it also has this kind of um, how would we say this kind of equalizing effect because students what students are doing these days more and more Steve yep. is they're they're checking other students feedback yes <laughs> which which True. means 
There's mm. more than ever, there's this onus on being consistent. Mm. If you provide this cohort feedback, you can say, listen, these are the main messages that everybody got. So on a practical level, it's going to help you. It's going to save you time, free up headspace. And then your students are going to love it because they're going to get this much kind of fuller impression and more complete feel uh, mm. in terms of the feedback they're getting. I think this is a brilliant idea. I've never done it. No, I did. I've sort of done it. I, I, I sold it as like, um, uh, when I was um, assessing the, like, the practice exam, um, I sent each, in mm. each individual student feedback and then I made like a you know final last minute exam tips where I just wrote a bunch yeah. of stuff that a lot of people were doing wrong. For example, not capitalizing mm. the first sentence in an email, which you have to do in English. Um, yeah, and Th that's that's a great example. Yeah, and, and, and it was that's it was it was so good because then just right before the exam, I said to them, right, look, guys, let's get you in the headspace. Look at these like these ten points. This is the stuff you need to remember. And they knew it was relevant because they'd just done the work. And that's the only time I've done it, but it mm. worked really well and they really appreciated it. Yeah. And the idea of having my spreadsheet for individual feedback and then just maybe a Word document or something, I'm just grabbing and copying and then just throwing it in there. So you've got a bunch of stuff in your cohort. Absolutely. And then if you want to, you could even write it up and make it a bit more like fun and easy to read, make it basically like a little report on all the things you have to think about if you want to, or just or just yeah. make it available. And that's a great yeah. idea. And of course, you know, that's 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 a good point about developing it, Steve. Because the the best thing about it is you can use it from one yep. one term to the next. If you're if you're repeating the yep. task, you use it one year to the yep. next and uh, save save yep. so much time. This is a great idea. I highly suggest, folks, um, you implement it um, whenever your next teaching and. That means we've reached the end of episode. This is episode 10. We're into, into double figures on the Alone Upfront podcast. Um, thanks ever so much if you've been listening. Um, we're going to keep doing these. We're going to um, have another tiny break next week. We'll be back the week after um, with more topics. And um, like, get it. I think we might do one, Steve. We might do one in the same room. I think we're going to deliver one in the same room. There's going to be an actual Steve and Chris, because we normally sit in different countries, but we're going to do one in the same room, which will, um, I think we'll definitely try and get that on video as well. Um, upcoming is a yeah. Loan Upfront YouTube channel. We're working on that right now. And we're working on trying to increase the number of channels you have to um, connect and, uh, and contact us. So things are afoot and... Uh, yeah, Alone Up Front is just going to keep growing. Thanks very much for listening, everybody. Whatever you're doing this week, maybe you're planning, maybe you're taking a break, a well-deserved break. Maybe you've got to teach. Plenty of people teaching this week. Whatever you're up to, um, please accept our best wishes. Anything you can do from the podcast which helps you, we're very happy to do it. And we're very happy that you've listened. Chris, I hope you have a great week, whatever you're up to. You too, Steve. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll see you soon. Okay, take care, everyone. Thanks for listening.